Recovering the Artemis I Orion Capsule, this week on Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. Welcome to the second-to-last Planetary Radio episode that I will host. How do you follow a visit with JPL's Rob Manning and author of The Martian, Andy Weir, with a visit to Naval Base San Diego, where I stood a few feet from a human-rated spacecraft that had just returned from the moon. You'll hear my conversations with the captain of the recovery ship, with NASA Recovery Director Melissa Jones, and with astronaut Shannon Walker. Incoming planetary radio host Sarah Alamed will drop by in a couple of minutes to kvel over spectacular images of Neptune delivered by the James Webb Space Telescope. And here's a heads up. I sing two, count them, two songs in this week's What's Up segment with Bruce Betts. Don't say I didn't warn you. Speaking of the JWST, check out the image of two galaxies colliding that the Big Space Telescope also captured. It's at the top of the December 16 edition of our weekly newsletter, The Downlink. You can subscribe to it for free. You know what else is free? The digital version of our beautiful quarterly magazine, The Planetary Report. The Galaxy's Image is one of those featured in the new December solstice issue that presents many of 2022's best space photos. It's all at planetary.org. Another downlink story shares the news that Sophia, that Boeing 747 with a big infrared telescope, has been flown to its final resting place, the Pima Air and Space Museum in Tucson, Arizona. I visited the museum during my recent stay in Tucson. They have several other history-making NASA airplanes there, along with a space shuttle, solid rocket booster, and much more. It's well worth the trip. Here's Sarah. Sarah, welcome back, and thanks for uh, tipping me off that this article that details these absolutely outstanding, uh, wonderful new observations of Neptune by the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope, now uh, available at planetary.org. Heidi Hamill, astronomer, vice president for science at Aura, the Association for Universities of Universities for Research in Astronomy. Of course, she's also vice president of the Planetary Society, been a member of our board since 2005, and has joined me here on Planetary Radio many times. Joined, though, by Naomi Rowe Gurney, a postdoctoral research at NASA Goddard, so a young astronomer coming up. We really haven't seen Neptune like this since that single Voyager flyby, have we? No, it's been since 1989. It's been a long, long time. So to get another glimpse of this planet and just really look at all the beautiful details, it was so stunning. I literally had my jaw just drop the moment I saw this picture. <laughs> yeah. And and it makes sense. You know, I, I've heard Heidi Hamill speak in the past about how emotionally impactful it was after decades of wanting an image like this to have it. So it's just awesome. <laughs> I, w I was so hoping, I was thinking, oh man, I hope there's a side-by-side -side comparison with the, maybe the best of the images from the Hubble Space Telescope. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, if you scroll far enough down in the article, and why wouldn't you, there it is. And it is absolutely stunning. I mean, they use the word 
astounding uh, for this. And one of the most amazing facts in this article is that all of these wonderful new images are the result of what, just a couple of hours of time on the telescope? Yes, just two hours of observing revealed the rings of Neptune, all of these amazing details in the atmosphere and all of its beautiful moons. It's absolutely startling because trying to get images of Neptune from Earth is just, I mean, to say it's difficult would be an understatement. You can try to get images with Hubble, but what JWST has revealed about this planet in the infrared is amazing in just that amount of observing time. And that's really what makes the difference here, right? I mean, like the Hubble image that we're shown is invisible light because that's really where Hubble excels, maybe a little bit into the infrared, but nothing touches JWST for observing in the infrared. It really reveals details that we couldn't see before with a telescope like Hubble. For example, there are these beautiful features underneath the top cloud layers that you can only see in certain wavelengths of light if you can look past the methane in the atmosphere down underneath. Mm. There are also some really bright, bright clouds that are reflecting light up at the top. So you can see all of this dynamics to the atmosphere, all of this depth that we really couldn't see with Hubble. Yeah, something else that I thought was fascinating is that not only do we have this far more sensitive telescope, but there are features revealed that apparently just weren't there before. They they wouldn't have been there even if we'd had this this telescope. Yeah, well, a lot can change. And let me calculate this. It's long over time. 30 years, a long, long time. There uh -huh. are some, some features near the poles on Neptune that we did see when Voyager 2 flew by, and they're still there. But there are whole new things about Neptune that have emerged in this time that's really cool to see. Well, again, the article is called A Deep Dive into the Neptune System with JWST by Heidi Hamill and Naomi Rowe Gurney. Uh, highly recommended at planetary.org. And uh, Sarah, I look forward to talking with you again next week when you will be part of our annual year-end panel reviewing the best in space for uh, 2022. Uh, see you then. I'm looking forward to it. And who knows what shenanigans you and Bruce and I will get into on that day. <laughs> uh, that is Sarah Alamed. She is the incoming host of Planetary Radio. It happens in just two weeks as this one is published. The Artemis One mission ended on Sunday, December 11, 2022, when the Orion spacecraft or capsule plunged into the Pacific off Baja, California. The splashdown was originally planned to happen a few miles seaward from the coast of my hometown, San Diego, California. A storm made it prudent for recovery to be slightly redirected. Waiting for Orion was the USS Portland, a so-called LPD, or Landing Platform Dock. This class of huge, amphibious, multitasking ship has a gigantic well deck that can be partially submerged, making it relatively easy to tow floating objects like space capsules inside. It was in that well deck that Orion peacefully rested. Buzzing around it on the morning of December 13 were Navy personnel, NASA officials, and media reps like yours truly. The first person I spotted was in her blue astronaut jumpsuit. Dr. Shannon Walker is a space physicist who has been with NASA since 1995. She has also spent over 330 days in space, living twice on the International Space Station. It was a SpaceX Crew Dragon that carried her to the ISS, on her second flight in 2020. 
Dr. Walker, lots of reason to celebrate as we stand here in the hold, the bay of this ship. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see the Orion capsule back on Earth and in the fantastic shape it's in. It's been a long time coming and it has been absolutely amazing to get this back onto this ship. You've been with NASA a long time. You have watched the development of Artemis, of Orion, of the Space Launch System, SLS. Um, it's been a long time coming. Yes, yes it has, but now after our, you know, our first flight, our test flight is done, and hopefully it won't be too much longer until we'll get Artemis II on its way. I'm only sorry that my colleagues and I, who went down for the first launch attempt, <laughs> we, we couldn't stick around. Oh, you tried to? Yeah, me too. I was for the first launch attempt, and I think the second one, and then I had other work I had to do for the actual launch attempt, so I got to watch it on TV with most of the country. So where are you going to be for Artemis II, if we're lucky, in a couple of years, when some of your astronaut colleagues become the first to actually take a, a very similar ride in a capsule like this? Well, hopefully I will be in Florida watching them take off, but if not, I will be somewhere glued to a television set. You have uh, an interesting advantage. You've actually uh, been in the Crew Dragon on your uh, trip, one of your trips to uh, the International Space Station. How would you say Crew Dragon compares to Orion? Oh, that's an interesting question. So, you know, on the surface, they're very similar. They both hold four people, but of course, Orion is built to go farther distances. And so it's probably a little more spacious. I know it's uh, definitely heavier, um, but beyond that, it's probably pretty similar on the inside just to ride in that spacecraft. Would you take a ride if you could? Absolutely. <laughs> So, where does the really just about total success of Artemis 1 leave us? I mean, as I said, we've been told Artemis 2 is a couple of years away. Is that is that your hope? And, and where, what are the next steps? Uh, yeah, if everything goes according to plan, Artemis 2 will be at the end of 2024. Um, we're going to take the, Artemis, uh, the Orion capsule back to Florida. They're going to go over it with a fine-tooth comb and make sure that it really was as good as we thought it was. And if there's anything that needs to be adjusted for Artemis II, we'll fold that in. But hopefully it's nothing too much that would affect the schedule. And then a little bit farther down the line, maybe a year or so after Artemis II, that first woman and first person of color returning to the moon, pretty exciting. It's very exciting. It's going to be so exciting to uh, see people on the moon and go into a different location on the moon, which is a whole different program than we had before. What would be your advice as somebody who's been up there a number of times now? Um, what would be your advice to these probably somewhat more novice astronauts who may be making some of these trips? Yeah, for the uh, first time flyers, I usually tell them that uh, you're going to do your job. Yeah, you know you're going to spend so much time trying to do everything right. But really what you want to do is also take the time to smell the roses and really live the event because it's, it's historic what's going to happen. Thanks very much, Dr. Walker. Thank you. Astronaut and scientist Shannon Walker. Longtime listeners to this show may have caught one or both of my previous visits to Naval Base San Diego. I talked with Melissa Jones on both of those trips. Melissa is the director of the NASA recovery team, so I wasn't surprised to see her smiling face on this visit. Have you stopped celebrating yet? Not yet. No, we haven't. We've been celebrating for several days. Everyone's just so excited. Uh, we were waiting a while for launch. You know, we had a couple hurricanes that we were dodging and we, we fixed a, the tanking leak and we've been waiting and we got off the ground and ever since then, we've just been ready to do this. Congratulations to you and the entire recovery team. Thank you. Absolutely flawless. And 
right in line with essentially a flawless Artemis One mission. I agree. It seems like it's been a very clean mission. Um, it was I was on the mission management team briefs almost every day. This capsule rocket, that the whole system performs phenomenally. I think of the previous two times that I saw you here. Yeah, those practice sessions. And I guess there were five in all, I heard you say? There were five one-week practice sessions, and then we had a just-in-time training with this ship after launch. Was it the Navy's decision to rely on the Portland to make this actual recovery? Because I know a couple of other captains who are going to be really, really envious. Yes, the Navy picks the recovery ship. Talk a little bit about, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but the relationship between NASA and the military, specifically the Navy, although others are involved, and how all of this comes together. We have, I think, an amazing relationship with the Department of Defense. Um, they are wonderful to work with. They are professional operators. Uh, they do their jobs very well. And so the way we work with them for this, you know, we use the ship, which is obviously the Navy. Uh, there's a diver organization that's Navy, helicopters are Navy. And then we have a couple of Air Force organizations that work with us too. Um, the 45th Weather Squadron launches the weather balloons. Um, and then for, uh, first Air Force Detachment 3, they integrate all of it for us. They're like um, our um, liaison to the military. We could not do this without them. So. They basically put together all of the support that we need. They work with the Navy for us, and we all get on the same page, and we work. To, we come out here and we do this together. Artemis II, couple of years. Will it? Is it also expected to come down here off the coast of San Diego? Currently, that is the plan, that it will be in the same area. Um, it is slated for uh, 24 months once we get back. There's some avionics on board this capsule that is needed for the next capsule. And of course, we're going to review all the data to make sure that we're safe and ready to go. But yeah, it'll come back in the Pacific. And what will you be up to? I think I heard you say that you have a new job. I do. I'm the, the, the operations uh, division chief for the Exploration Ground Systems Program. So the program that is responsible for these operations, I'm the division chief for it. I'm actually my own boss right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I hope that you gave yourself a raise. <laughs> God, I work for the government, so there's none of that. <laughs> Melissa, again, congratulations. It is absolutely thrilling to be standing in front of this capsule that has just flown well over a million miles and looped around the moon and know that one very much like it is going to be carrying humans back to the vicinity of the moon in a couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's very thrilling for me, too. Uh, it's surreal. I know we've been planning for this for years, but it, the fact that it's here it just doesn't feel real. NASA's Melissa Jones, looking very proud, was the skipper of the ship that led the effort to recover the Artemis One Orion. So I'm uh, Captain uh, John W. Ryan, and I'm the commanding officer of the USS Portland. And we are standing in the vast bay of your vessel with this amazing bit of cargo behind us. Yes, uh, so we're actually in the well deck, and uh, the Orion uh, space capsule is uh, tied down in our well deck after we retrieved it uh, at sea. I was here for a couple of the practice sessions where the Navy learned to work with NASA to recover the uh, Artemis capsules, the, the, the Orions. I know a couple of captains who are really envious of you right now. <laughs> I, don't, I would not say that uh, those captains are envious. I think everybody who had a part in making this a successful mission, uh, the lessons learned from those commanding officers uh, helped make this, I mean, this event went as smooth as it could humanly possibly go. Uh, and all of that work and all of that effort 
uh, made the Navy uh, very successful uh, this past weekend. You know, I just heard pretty much the same thing from Melissa of NASA over there, who is in charge of the recovery team, now promoted. Uh, she talked about how terrific it has been to work with the U.S. Navy and with the Department of Defense. I, I wonder, I, I assume you feel the same way about this partnership with NASA. Absolutely. The uh, professionalism of NASA, the training they gave the ship, both uh, classroom training, uh, we've run this through on simulators, we did peer-side training, and then two weeks ago we actually ran the entire uh, mission profile out here in the Southern California operating area where they brought in a, a mock-up orbital. We deployed that into the sea and we did the entire event number of times to make sure that everybody was ready to go. So you were doing that even as Artemis One was orbiting the moon? Yes, we were in full practice mode to get ready to make sure that it went as smoothly as possible on execution day. Why is a ship like yours especially well-suited for exactly this job? So Portland is a member of the San Antonio class of LPDs, and if you look at the uh, capabilities this sh ship brings, we have a large uh, flight deck so we can embark a number of helicopters. Uh, I can deploy a number of small boats which were critical to getting this mission successfully completed. The ship has a robust communication suite which allowed NASA essentially to have an at-sea command center while here. And I also have a full uh, medical team to include uh, surgical capabilities uh, to keep everybody uh, safe and also to prepare for when astronauts are actually in the orbital. We are, if all goes well, a couple of years away from the first one of these capsules that will carry humans, not to the surface of the moon, but to the vicinity of the moon. Very similar mission profile to what Artemis One did. I assume that once again, it'll be you or one of your fellow captains on a vessel like this that'll be uh, bringing them back home. Absolutely, I think the LPD is a proven class of ship that is uh, perfect for this mission. I would love to be part of that mission as well, but uh, unfortunately that'll probably be some other commanding officer, hopefully saying the lessons learned from Portland, John P. Murtha and Anchorage also helped them be successful. Just one more, I, I, I know that every part of the mission that you and the Portland take on are important, probably equally important, but there must be something special to you and your crew when you bring aboard something that has just gone farther out into space than any other human-rated device ever. This is a culmination of history. The uh, Orion had traveled, I think they said, 1.4 million miles, and we greeted it back to the world. Uh, it was a tremendous uh, opportunity to further the Navy's partnership with NASA and to honestly help push the space program forward here in the next couple years. Thanks so much, Captain, and thank you so much for this great work. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the interview. Captain John Ryan, commanding officer of the USS Portland. What's Up arrives after a break, but I also want you to know that there's something very special in the podcast and online version of this week's show. My colleague, Merck Boyan, has taken excerpts from 10 of my favorite episodes and created a beautiful, captivating montage. It includes Sally Ride, Ray Bradbury, Arthur C. Clarke, Freeman Dyson, Bob Picardo, Mary Roach, Linda Spilker, Bill Nye, and a cameo appearance by Buzz Aldrin. You'll find it at planetary.org radio and wherever good podcasts are available. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? 
We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Greetings, Bill Nye here with a message of gratitude. It's been a wonderful year for the Planetary Society, made possible by our donors and members. Thank you so much. We look forward to achieving even more in 2023. I hope all of you will be with us as we strive to know the cosmos and our place within it. Check us out at planetary.org. That's where you can also learn how to become part of this journey. Here's wishing you a joyous holiday season and the happiest of New Year's. It's time for, and now that I think of it, the penultimate What's Up with Bruce Betts, at least for me, the current host of Planetary Radio, because in two weeks, it'll be Sarah Alamed who takes over this uh, position. <laughs> I'm joined by the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you, Matt. As we close out the Matt Kaplan era of Planetary Radio. Although it will always be Matt Kaplan's Planetary Radio. Oh, that's that's fair. Probably not true, but very nice of you to no, say. No, it's not at all true. <laughs> all right, how about I give you the night sky? And... <laughs> yeah, would you? You know what I've arranged for the end of Planetary Radio for you? I've arranged for all five planets that you can see with just your eyes to be visible in the night sky. In the evening, even. It's even convenient. Oh, I'm so flattered. You're welcome. You're welcome. Across the sky in the early evening. Well, let's start with the challenging ones. So this one, I, I, I talked to him at the last minute. So Venus and Mercury are going to be a little tough. But if you've got a clear view to the western horizon shortly after sunset, you'll see super bright Venus and above it for a few days, Mercury. And then they'll grow closer together and uh, will be only about three moon diameters apart, one and a half degrees. Uh, on December 28th, again, very low, and then Mercury will go away. Venus will come up. Venus will be super bright with us in the West for the next several months, whether Matt's with us or not. If you walk your way across the sky, you can go towards the East, and you will then see yellowish Saturn and bright Jupiter, and then all the way over towards the East in the early evening is reddish Mars. And so there they are for you. That's all I could do for you. It'll do. Do you know that line from, from Babe? I, I won't. You just call me a pig? <laughs> I mean, an intelligent talking pig. So, I mean, I guess that's cool. That'll do, pig. That'll do. It was this week in 1968 that Apollo 8 put the first humans in orbit around the moon. 2003, Mars Express went into orbit at Mars 19 years ago. Way to go, Isa. All right, you ready? I am totally ready. Randall Matt Kaplan facts. <laughs> I forgot that you were going to start doing those. And by the way, that was lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much. It wasn't, but thank you. So here's a little bit about Matt in rapid order. Matt's favorite color is blue, which he happens to be wearing right now. His favorite pet name is Brian. Named after his <laughs> childhood dog. And he swam competitively in high school. That's a little bit more about Matt Kaplan. All true. And, and to be exact, it was Prince Brian of Killigay because he was a, a pedigree uh, Irish setter. 
Okay, now I have learned a little bit more about Matt Kaplan's history. <laughs> That'll do, dog. That'll do. <laughs> we move on to the trivia question. And we asked you, have you got good stuff for this, Matt? I really do. Yeah. Okay, so, so I asked, how long in hours and minutes was the longest EVA, extravehicular activity, carried out on the moon? How about hours, minutes, and seconds? Here's our winner, I believe, because this is what everybody had. I, I, you can confirm it, but I'm pretty sure this is it. It's Gordon Proctor, and I think he is a first-time winner. If, it, if he's not a first-time winner in the United Kingdom, it's been a long time. Seven hours, 36 minutes, and 56 seconds, an extravehicular activity conducted by the Apollo 17 astronauts on the moon, Gene Cernan, and that scientist, that geologist, Harrison Schmidt. Is he right? He is indeed right. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. About eight hours hanging out, walking around on the moon's surface. Now I have to sing not one, but two songs. There's <laughs> <laughs> a first. <laughs> Ian O'Neill, longtime listener in Japan. M is for the mysteries you unlock. A is for that rubber <laughs> asterisk. T is for the tech that transmits you around this speck. Matt, we bid you fond adieu. <laughs> adieu. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> That's good. So no answer there. He did have an answer as well, but he provided that. And finally, this from our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild in Kansas, who, by the way, Dave's wife made a ton of cookies, some of which were sent here to my home, some of which were sent to the office. Bruce, you may want to stop by soon before they're all gone. <laughs> here goes. Well, I'm not bragging world, so don't put me down, but I did the longest EVA in town, <laughs> a seven-hour trip plus a 37 drive. She's got a set of wings, man. I know she can fly. She's my LRV coop. Mm -hmm. You don't know what I got. <laughs> You should have joined me on the last coop, one. You don't know what I got. <laughs> I love you, coop, you don't know what I got. With deepest apologies to Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, but thank you, Dave. <laughs> that's that's fun. That's very you, fun. You could add on with a new contest. <laughs> what observed astronomical event did Tycho Brahe write about in the book De Novella Stella? That's kind of working. Well, uh, let me repeat that for those of you uh, who were too horrified to listen. What observed astronomical event did Tycho Brahe write about in the book De Nova Stella? Let me try that again. My Latin's a little rusty. De Nova Stella, D-E space N-O-V-A space S-T-E-L-L-A. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest to get your entry in. And I know the answer to this one. You have until Wednesday, December 28th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us this answer, which will be answered the following week by Bruce and Sarah on January yeah. 4th. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you will win, as mentioned, that uh, Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid. Somebody else wrote in to say, hey, if, if Sarah can't roll her R's, she really can't take the job. Was that part of the interview process? I we, we forgot to do that test. I guess we'll have to run it still. So, uh, yeah, we assume it'll be Sarah hosting the show on January 4th. <laughs> I assume it'll be fine. Well, she could tag me in. 
There you go. And that's nice. Ooh, gives me <laughs> We better go. <laughs> All right, everybody. Go out there, look up the night sky, and think about Matt Kaplan resting after the show. Thank you and good night. That'll do, Chief Scientist. That'll do. He is Bruce Betts, the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week for What's Up. My last show as regular host of Planetary Radio arrives on December 28. Join me for a review of the year in space with several of my Planetary Society colleagues. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our nostalgic members. Mark Hilverda and Ray Paletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra. Ad Astra.